Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Throwback Book Stack. Thanks for joining us again. I am your host, Kelly. Hey, I'm Emily. <laughs> and this week, we are going to talk about the book Killing Mr. Griffin, which is by Lois Duncan. It was released in 1978, and this was a book that I read as a child. Emily, you did not. Is that correct? No, I had never even heard of this book. I had no, like, never heard of it, never seen it. From the title, I was like, I bet it's about killing someone. Did you read any of Lois Duncan's books? I did, but somehow this one, because she had a lot. She had a lot, so. which is why I was wondering, and they were all very suspense. She does a lot of suspense stuff, so yeah. I didn't know if you'd done any of her other stuff. Yeah, that wasn't like my genre, I guess, so I have read some of her stuff, but I never like sought out more. Like, she wasn't, it was like things that were in the library that caught my eye, not like, I'm going to look up every book by this author, which I did for a lot of authors. <laughs> so yeah, this one slipped through the cracks. I'd read a couple of hers. I definitely didn't read all of them, but suspense also wasn't my genre. Like, I wasn't into the Chris Pike Fear Street. I didn't do any of that. So I have no idea how I got this book. I distinctly remember reading it, though, in seventh grade. And I have so many questions about seventh grade me now because this was totally outside the sphere of, like, all my other books. But I've definitely read a couple of hers. So I don't know what this means about me. And the whole time I was reading, I was definitely like, I think Emily's going to hate this book. <laughs> I was like, I think Emily and I have very different tastes in books, and I am very curious how this podcast episode is going to go. Yeah, so I had read this book as a kid. I just, I vividly remembered it. So when we first talked about doing this podcast, I was like, oh man, I'm definitely going to put Killing Mr. Griffin on the list. And then I reread it, and it was a very mind-blowing experience, because it was a very different experience than I remembered. That's pretty funny. Uh, yeah, like I said, I had no expectation, but I read the title and I was like, uh, okay. <laughs> That's kind I mean, of how I thought this would go. Killing books are not really like my like, yeah, can't wait, gonna get into this. But I guess we'll see. So first we're gonna give a summary of the book. And if you haven't listened to our podcast before, uh, we spoil everything. So if you want to read this book without having all the twists and turns spoiled for you, you maybe want to walk away for now, go read the book, come back. And so I think Emily wants to give you the summary on this one. She's looking yeah, really, I got really this. excited. I got this, guys. Okay, so the summary of the book is you meet a group of teenagers. There's, like, the friends that are the cool kids, where there's, like, three boys and one girl. And then this one girl who's, like, a nerd and has zero friends, but, like, wants to be one of the cool kids. And they all have this English teacher, Mr. Griffin. And Griffin? Griffin? Griffin. Thanks. <laughs> I swear I read this whole book. <laughs> <laughs> Griffin like the McElroy. <laughs> they have this English teacher, Mr. Griffin, who's like a really hard grader, and they're all very upset about it. And instead of talking to the administration or the PTA or anything, one day the group of cool kids is like, what if we killed him? Ha 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 ha, just kidding. We're not going to kill him, but for real, let's kidnap him and scare him. And then they're like, no, he'll know it's us. Well, we'll get the nerdy girl to be in on it. He'll never suspect that. And so then they basically pretend to be her friend to get her on board with this kidnapping and scaring him situation. And she's like very easily persuaded, like, yeah, deaf. All they do is give her like a beer and one joint and take her out for a picnic. And she's like, I'm on board. So they go and they kidnap him and they kind of rough him up a little and then they leave him there. And then he accidentally dies because he doesn't have his heart medicine. And they come back and they're like, oh no, we done fucked up. <laughs> and so then they spend the rest of the book trying to be like, uh, how do we hide this? How do we hide this? And then they're caught. 
because they are teenagers and they are not good at hiding things. <laughs> Even though this police force does not seem 100% on it, they are caught comically fast. <laughs> the end. You left oh, out- I left out that they blame the whole thing basically on one of the guys in the cool club is like a legit psychopath and also kills another person and tries to kill the nerdy girl before the end and they're like he's a psychopath that's why this all happened only him not the rest of us no we're cool no everyone <laughs> kidnaps their teachers we're not psychopaths it's just him did i mention he killed another person psychopath am i right he dev- he did though okay so that's an accurate summary but i would say he did kill several people because he, he killed i'm not saying he's not a psychopath what but they're all I'm terrible saying is that they're all psychopaths they're all terrible mark who they is, went from is like worse zero to 60 they were literally like this teacher's hard yeah let's kidnap him it literally the discussion they had in which they were like let's kill him okay fine not kill was like five minutes long pretty it much was it was one lunch time like let's kill him ha 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 just kidding but what if i'm not that was actually the really good summary of the conversation <laughs> So Mark is the instigator of this. Mark is the sort of the the one who inadvertently is also the reason they get caught because he had a girlfriend who like he'd once shown in the past this waterfall where they had taken Mr. Griffin to to beat him up. And so when she went there with her new boyfriend, they discovered his class ring. No, no, no the ring was stolen. They discovered his, his pill bottle with his name on it. Right. <laughs> like- they discovered his pill bottle with his name on it. Also, like, what the fuck is wrong with these kids? Okay, I have so many problems <laughs> with this book. I would, I definitely spent the whole time, rather than being able to get in the book, going, Emily's going to hate this book. Emily's going to have so many <laughs> questions so about this book. so many problems. <laughs> Starting out from the very beginning, where it opens with a nerdy girl hanging out with her family, and they're making fun of her for being a single person. God, her family is like, terrible. This conversation is so weird, and I, like, I literally was, like, three pages in, and I have a note that just says... What the fuck am I reading? <laughs> what am I reading? But there's a part where I'm kind of jumping all over the place. But I know. I this, this is a weird book. So. In my defense of all the kids being psychopaths, besides the fact that they all latched onto this idea insanely fast and had zero qualms about it, except for the nerdy girl who I think is supposed to be like the good guy because she's upset. She like goes along with it with very little prompting but that is upset when she gets season beat up and like feels bad a little bit and you're supposed to be like yeah she was really dragged into this and really got involved with the wrong people and it's like no she did all this with very little prompting and did not stand up to anyone just because she's cried when she saw him get hit over the head hard enough to knock him out and then dragged unconscious into a bag and thrown into a car doesn't mean that she's a good person because then she immediately was like, okay, bye, and just went home. And like, she was upset, but like, she didn't back out and be like, yeah, I've decided to call the police because this is crazy. <laughs> That's kind of a consistent and- theme through this is like, she she is exposed to a lot of horrible things where they get her on board just by literally... Suddenly all the cool kids come up to you and offer to take you out. The guy she's had a crush on for a long time is part of the group. He's like the like student body president, achievement guy. And Which is also a sign that this book was a long time ago because student body president is not like the coolest kid in school. And this is not nothing against people who were student body presidents. It's just kind of like... I don't think I can name mine. Like, that's what you do because it's good on your transcript for college, 
Not like, we voted for him because he was the most popular kid. That's how we did it at my school. Are you kidding me? We yeah. went to very different schools then. <laughs> my school was all a popularity contest. I went to the, the American high school, obviously, that Oof. we see portrayed in TV, film, and books. <laughs> no, mine was, I don't know, not like that. Yeah, ours, it was totally a popularity contest. So this act, that, that almost scanned for me. First off, I don't know. She has zero friends. Zero. Yeah. yeah. Which is kind of weird. Like, what is wrong with you? Because <laughs> it never says why. I'm not saying that if you have zero friends in high school, there's something wrong with you. I'm saying that usually there's a reason. They never give any... Yeah, that's the weird thing is they never give any sort of indication of why. Especially because she seems pretty fine throughout yeah. the book. In terms of, like, I, there was no, like, she's a super mean person or anything. And also, she normally... Well, like, I say as someone that was a loser in high school... There were other losers in high school, and we all hung out together. Right. Like, I there's didn't normally even mean other a reason, people that like, are socially There's something awkward. wrong with you? I meant a reason like, oh, did her best friend suddenly become a bitch and a bully because yeah. she wanted to be popular and drop her as if... Or is it because she's working five jobs? Like, the one kid is not allowed to go out ever and has to stay home and take care of his grandma and all this, but he's one of the popular kids. And it's like, this would make more sense if, like, he didn't have any friends. Because his parents literally won't let him leave the house. But somehow he's the popular guy, whereas, like, this girl, who's, like, mom is delighted when she has a date, and seems like, I mean, until you find out that she's a total psychopath and is willing to kill people, seems fine. Like She's not willing <laughs> to kill people, she's willing to cover up other people killing people. It's a big difference, Emily. I guess. Anyway, oh, where was I going with this? A long time ago, I wanted to say that what really bothered me was that, so they, like, do this plan, and they, like, kidnap him, and they take him to this secluded area in the mountains, and they're, like, beating him up, and he's tied up, and he has these medication that falls out of his pocket, and it has his name on it, and they don't know what it is, and so they decide to just stomp on it. And I was like, maybe this book is just very dated or something? And then they're shocked. When they find out he died because he had a heart condition that his medicine would have, like... Even in the 70s, I feel like you would go, hey, this person has a pill bottle they're actually carrying with them. That's typically a sign that they need it. Right? It was crazy. I was like, y'all are psychopaths. <laughs> you took out this medication and literally just stomped it. Also, you're stupid as fuck because you stomped on it because you thought it might explode. They thought it would explode! <laughs> I don't have any defense for that. I don't. <sighs> so the book's construction does want you to think Mark is the instigator of this because they basically give a point of view chapter to all the other characters. Mark is the only one that doesn't have a point of view chapter. You never get to see his point of view. Everyone else, they kind of give their personal lives and their family lives. And you can see what struggles they have and sort of what their emotional interactions with other characters are. So they sort of humanize everyone except Mark. Mark also goes out and kills Dave's grandma, who Dave is the, the student body president. He's the popular kid. And... His grandma, he takes care of her all the time, and she gets convinced that he he has this ring and that belongs to her son when it's it's this it's actually she took it he took it from Mr. Griffin. For some reason he decided to take his class ring. This was such a weird It was a side bad plot. plan. It was like, a bad plan. It also was very confusing because there was a while where they kind of made it sound like Basically, he took it, I guess, because it somehow reminded him, like, I guess they went to the same college as his dad, yeah. who was no longer around, and he, like, saw it, and it vaguely reminded him of his dad somewhere deep in his subconscious, so he took it, and then his grandma found it, and then she stole it because she thought it was his dad's, and it was proof that his dad had come back, and that Dave was secretly seeing him, and it was this whole weird subplot that I thought was going somewhere dumb, like, that Mr. Griffin was secretly his dad. 
But it turned out it was even dumber than that, and it was just a way to get to a point where Mark would kill someone else, and so he killed the grandma. So apparently people on the internet have also questioned whether Mr. Griffin was David's father, and Lois Duncan says no. <laughs> so that's that theory has been shot down. But yeah, it ended up just being like a reason for Mark to kill his grandmother and have another murder. And then sort of the book also ends with Mark trying to kill... Susan and by setting her house on fire with her inside it, which is not the best. Arson typically gets caught, I feel. Well, right. And then they were like, didn't they kind of imply that he had done that before? Yeah. And it had gone well and like worked. All like he killed his parents or his dad or his brother. I don't someone know. he killed. He's killed someone in his family because he lived like, with his aunt. It makes it sound like it killed his dad, but then I swear they talked about like having a dead sister or something at one point. He's basically killed everyone. Yeah. Jeffrey Dahmer ain't got nothing on him. No, he's just going around murdering everyone. Yeah. But, like, not really thinking it through. Like, that was the most impressive thing when you found out that he killed his dad. Was like, and no one caught this because you lived in the middle of nowhere and there's literally no cops? Like, this was not a well-thought plan. No. So, now that I've got off my chest that I hate the ending where they basically... Literally, her mom has this really long exposition chapter at the end. After Susan gets rescued, like, her mom is like, hey... It's me, your mom. I'm visiting the hospital after 10 days, and I think it's time we talk. Like I said, it's been 10 days since this all happened. It's and me, like, your mom. Wraps everything up, but like, has this basic thing where she's like, I know this is going to be hard, but you're going to tell everyone the truth. We're going to tell them the truth because this guy manipulated all of you because he is a psychopath. And, like, that whole ending just made me furious because I was like, they were all terrible. Like, she shouldn't get off. I hope you have the worst lawyer and she goes to juvie. Like, Yeah, basically at the end it's like, yes, all the kids are facing criminal charges. They are trying to get her a deal in exchange for her testimony. Since she never physically, like, beat him or anything and all the rest of them basically did. They're all really terrible kids. I kind of, I appreciate that the book does in some ways acknowledge it while it puts everything on Mark. There's this weird sense of disassociation they give her with it that I feel feels authentic in a weird way to like when you're witnessing horrible events and you don't feel like you can act. I will appreciate a little bit that they at least made lip service to the fact that they were probably all going to get in huge trouble. This is a spoiler alert if you have not seen the movie Keanu. Like, go watch that right now and then come back. Definitely go watch Keanu. It's really good. That was one of the things I loved about the ending was that even though you were rooting for this man, getting his kitten bag and you're like, yeah, do it. Kill those bad guys. They stole that kitten. At the end when they're like, yeah. No, you're still going to jail. Like, you did a lot of fucked up things. Bye. (laughs) And he literally, like, pulls back. He's in a cop car. He's going to jail. I I like an ending that isn't afraid to be like, also, consequences. (laughs) Even though we were on your side. But the real problem, getting to the root of it, is that I was never on their side. (laughs) From the very beginning, I had so many issues where, like, from the title of this book, I figured it was going to be about killing Mr. Griffin. And so from the very beginning when he showed up and they would say things that were supposed to be like, yeah, that's kind of fucked up that he did, I was always like, no, I'm 100% on his side. (laughs) There was a few things where I was kind of not, but in those instances, I thought that the administration at the school should have stepped in. Oh, the administration at the school, like, they're a whole oh. separate issue of failure. Although I feel like that's accurate to the school experience nowadays. The school administration does not step in when they need to. And this was apparently also true like, in the 70s, because I totally bought that, actually. Like, there was one part where, I guess, the only thing that he did that I thought was really... There was two things he did that I thought were fucked up. I mean, neither were fucked up enough to deserve firing. 
they never showed you the scene, but they referenced that one time Mark, the psychopath guy, was caught cheating and he was going to fail the class and so Mr. Griffin made him beg in front of the entire class to be allowed to retake the class next semester. And I was like, that shit, like, no, the principal should step in and be like, no, he can just retake the class. You can't. I had a teacher a that did that for less. So this is actually, again, an experience that I'm like, oh, this is totally wow. normal and checks some out. fucked up schools. But so there was that. And then I also thought that if they had real concerns about him grading too hard, there was also like the school could have stepped in and people like actually complained about it. Yeah. But like most of the things that they had complaints about, like the time when he said that he really doesn't tell them when they're doing something good. I was like, that's fucked up, dude. Like you can, even if you're giving her a B in her paper, you can still say like, you're doing a good job. You just had these problems. Like at least give them some encouragement. That makes I sense. Mean, yeah. And especially because they're in high school, like it's good. But I also understood his point of view. I I felt like they did want to sympathize with him, at least because, you know, we see the point of views of the kids. They're talking about how hard he is, even though he's just doing normal teacher things. And then we do get a point of view of him in his house with his pregnant wife. Right. Living, because, you know, we have to add the up to the tragic factor. And talks about how he was a college professor who saw how unprepared his students were coming in. So he left his lucrative college position to go teach in high school so he could prepare kids for college, which is a noble goal. And that the reason he was so hard on them was because all of his kids he had in college were such failures. <laughs> so I was a TA in college, and I was the mean TA. And this book gave me a lot of fear that my students could have dragged me out into the woods because my college was next to the woods and beat me because I was the mean TA. I was the one that was always fighting with the professor because he wouldn't let me grade hard enough. Yeah, but I mean, like, I know the college you went to, and, like, I'm not going to say what college it is. You could have taken them. We were all dirty hippies, but I was a dirty hippie that was ready to get out my red pen and go to war on them. Because you know what? I don't ask for much. I expect you to spell check your paper. And, yeah, I was the mean TA, and this actually made me like, oh, no, what if my students had been psychos? How would this have gone for me? I mean, upon further reflection just right now, I feel like he had, like, good intentions, but went about it the wrong way. Because, like, you're still reaching about the same amount of people being a high school teacher or a college professor trying to help them. Maybe he should have sought a route that, like, went to change the standards or, like, graded teachers better or, like, fucking checked administrations at schools to make sure that they were doing right by all their students. I I do get, though, where he's coming from. At the point, yeah, but I kind of get where if you want to teach, like, if that's what you want to do. And you get to the point in college where you're like, they're mostly already done. I can't change their ways as much. Though I feel like high school, it's also kind of hard to change. I'm like, you should have been an elementary school teacher, my dude. Yeah, right? You would have been a terrible elementary school teacher. God, you would have been the worst elementary school teacher. Jesus. But, you know, Um, get them study habits early because that's something that is hard to develop even in high school. It's one of those tropes where it's like, I feel like you do read a lot of Shakespeare in high school. It's kind of the point where you're old enough and it's such like a thing, but it was almost comical how much it was like, they only did Shakespeare. (laughs) Like it was like, you can tell he's a teacher because it's all about Shakespeare. I did a lot of Shakespeare in high school. Again, this is all accurate. But we did other things too. Yeah. We did. I mean, we did some, we did like Julius Caesar and we did do Hamlet and Romeo and Juliet. But they were spread out over the four years, so it was like, we did like maybe four or five Shakespeare's. We didn't do a whole semester of one. I took like a class specifically on Shakespeare for a semester in high school because I don't like myself enough. One of my honors classes in high school was about, um, uh, what's it called? Like, plays? 
Yes, those are what those are called. <laughs> I can't think of the name of the class. Something like drama or whatever. Anyway, we did a lot of plays. Yeah. And so we did like maybe two Shakespeare plays, but then we also did like Pygmalion. Did you do Duchess of Malfi, the best play? No, we did. Man, why can't I remember anything we did? I'm getting it confused with my college drama course right now. We did. Oh, man. I don't know. We did do Pygmalion, though, because God help me, I love Pygmalion. You don't remember because it was in high school, and that was 8,000 years ago. That's fair. We're old now. Yeah. That's why we're rereading these books for this podcast. That's true. Anyway, my point is, I thought it was hilarious that it was literally no mention of anything else, ever. Not even, like, we read Great Expectations or something. Just Shakespeare. We read some Chaucer. No, we didn't. Just Shakespeare. Oh, I loved Chaucer when I was in high school. I think if someone told me to read Chaucer now, I would laugh in their face and walk away. (laughs) But in high school, I really, really liked it. Bad news. I've added Chaucer to the list of what to read for this podcast. (laughs) I'm not doing that. Damn it. I feel like we were a certain extent supposed to sympathize with Mr. Griffin over these kids. And the kids were all pretty terrible. Okay. A lot of the things that were complaints against him were so, like, stupid. Uh, One was he never came into class late. You had to be there on time because he was already there waiting to start the class on time. And it was like, you go to a terrible high school. (laughs) Also, when you're a high school Um, teacher, you typically don't have enough time between classes to even go to the restroom, let alone do anything else. So like, yeah, your teacher is of course going to already be there. They just taught a class. Yeah, like they live there. That's their room. Another one was, oh, this one girl, the other girl in the group of cool kids, Betsy. Betsy. It's like the worst. She's terrible at everything, especially driving. Yeah. She got several tickets in this book. A lot of them sort of having the cops come after them was she got a bunch of tickets and basically laid a pretty good path of where they've been during this whole process because she kept getting tickets. And they kept making her drive because they were like, she looks so innocent. And it was like, but she's a terrible driver. Also, if you don't get pulled over by the cops, it doesn't matter what your driver looks like. Yeah. You can have Mark drive. You can have Jeff drive. Jeff who really didn't serve any purpose other than he was trying to like repaint and change the plates on Mr. Griffin's car to disguise it. Yeah, Jeff didn't serve a purpose. You could have taken him out of the book and nothing would have changed. It was basically to give some angst in friction between him and Betsy. But him and Betsy were the least interesting people in the group. So it wasn't super helpful. Um, Betsy got on my nerves the very first time you see her, which is their like turning in an English assignment. All of them have excuses for why they don't have one or whatever. And so, like, the one guy, Dave, who's, like, the student body president is normally a good student. His papers literally blew away when he was walking into school, which I kind of have to side with Mr. Griffin here, where I'm like, well, why were you just holding them in your hands like an idiot? Put them in a folder. Put them in a backpack. What? It was very weird. So, like, he's trying to get an extension, and he's like, no, you don't have it. And he has a kind of good point where he's like, why would I make an exception for you? And then I had to make an exception for everyone who came in and was like, oh, they blew away this morning. Sorry, can I do it again? And then Betsy. So he's literally like, okay, hand in your assignments. And she's like, this is a quote. I didn't understand the assignment, Betsy said. Her eyes were wide and worried. How can anyone write a final song for Ophelia when she's already said everything there is to say? Okay, if you didn't understand the assignment, the time to say that to the teacher is not in the class when you're supposed to be turning in the assignment. The time to say that is after he assigns it. Stay after school. Talk to him. Be like, I don't think I understand. Maybe even the next day when you've tried to do the assignment and you don't get it. It's not when you're turning it in. And then she gets pissed off because she's like, the other teachers would have explained it and let me redo it. He's too hard of a teacher. (laughs) 
I think one of the reasons I liked this book as a kid was because when I was in junior high, I could understand that perspective. Well, now as an adult, I'm like, no, of course. <laughs> Why you would go talk to them. Here's all the things you could do. Having been through so many more years of education and having to deal with that and having been a TA, I'm like, of course, here's the things. But as a kid, I was like, fight the man. Don't listen to him. Yeah, it made me furious. I was like, no, no, that's not the right time to say that. You can't be mad at him because this is just an excuse. You didn't do the assignment and this is just an excuse why. Oh, I was so mad. I was always on his side. So there is one other thing I want to bring up regarding this book. What version did you read? Do you know? Uh, I read the Kindle version at my library. Is this about the updates? This is about the updates, because I feel like this is going to come up for us a couple times in the podcast, especially with books from the 70s and 80s. So as a lot of you know, or maybe don't know who have read these kind of books, for books from like the 60s and the 70s and whatnot, and even older or newer, sometimes with the re-release, they update these books and they update them in really dumb ways. Sometimes it's useful, but very rarely. Emily's shaking her head. Yeah, it's basically never. So they update it to like add modern technology in and it's not helpful. So in this case, they add references to CDs and iPods. DVDs. Hey, sorry, DVDs. Uh, that was the first time they mentioned a DVD player and I was like, is this a weird update? <laughs> There's a reference to an iPod and I almost threw my ebook copy at that point, which would have been really sad because I do like my tablet. It actually made me laugh a little, honestly. <laughs> Because the thing is, the updates don't fit in. It would be better if they just left it and were like, this is a period piece. It takes place in 1978. Yeah. Because they don't make sense. Yeah. Like, at one point, they mentioned them having a cell phone. Yeah. And it was the weirdest thing, because it's like, if you have a cell phone, then why are you constantly calling people's houses and asking if they're home? That's the problem. So, like, here's the thing. This is a common problem. I feel like when we use ebooks and Kindle version, we're going to run into this a lot because it's not uncommon and it's really frustrating because especially for suspense books, because when you add modern technology in, these books don't account for the kind of behaviors you have. Like nowadays with a phone, you don't call someone's house. And so it sort of makes a lot of assumptions. So when you just sort of throw a reference to an iPod in there without any sort of adjustment to the entire behavior of the book, and especially in this book where them having cell phones changes everything. There's a whole lot of points where they're waiting for Betsy or waiting for someone to show up. Or if they can just call them on a cell phone, yeah. game on. It's a whole different story. Or where they're Their issues are totally different. And they're not home and they're like, oh no, I can't get a hold of them. And it's like, you literally just said they had a cell phone. Yeah, text them. Yeah, it's the changes make no sense and it makes the book worse because it opens up these opportunities that if they had been existing at the time, the plot would have had to account for. But yeah, texting would have changed this book entirely. Yeah. And the fact that they add, like, I hate these updates. I hate that they do this with books. And it's one of those things where kids can acknowledge the fact that there was a time before cell phones. Kids can deal with reading a book that doesn't reference modern technology. And if they can't, well, this is a great time for them to learn because they should. You should be able to acknowledge, oh, hey, this book was written in a time period before that. You should be able to engage with texts that exist outside your time period. It's the reason we love historical fiction. So think of this as a historical fiction from 1978 and stop adding in iPods. Yeah, and it's so clumsily done. Like the iPod thing in particular, I think I have it, but it, they're, it's when they're like digging the grave or something. And he's like, I wish I had my iPod. And then the other person goes, why is that? And he's like, a little music makes works go faster. And then they talk about music. It's just thrown in and it's like, I want to know what word was there. Like, did he say stereo? Or did he say like record player? Like... What did he say? And it's like, first off, no one would ask, why do you wish you had your iPod? Secondly, you like, don't want a sweet 
Spotify playlist when you're digging a grave. Thirdly, why wouldn't you have your iPod? Like, yeah. it's, it's not clumsy and most people just, like, throw it in their backpack or their pocket or their car or whatever. Do you only grab it for special occasions? You didn't make a reference of, like, oh, I forgot it at the gym because I was thrown off by this or something. And it even like, ends up aging the book anyway because at this point technology changes so fast that an iPod's really a dated reference because everyone uses their phone now instead. Like, you're like, right. wait, you have a dedicated thing just to your music? Why? It takes no account into how the technologies are not replaceable. Like, an iPod is not the same as, like, a boombox or no. something. Like, they're not irreplaceable. People don't treat them the same. You can't just drop one in and it makes it sound modern because people aren't acting around it the same. Yeah, the reactions to these things are totally different. And cell phones are just a game changer. It's it's also, a totally different situation. You could have been like, I have my iPod, but no Bluetooth speakers. That would have been a better thing to plug in. Like, <laughs> I wish I had my Bluetooth speakers. But then again, it raises the question of when these updates were added. Like, were they before Bluetooth speakers were sort of a standard? Well, exactly. So exactly. I'm sure. But still, it's like, well, what are you going to do if you had your iPod? Listen by yourself while your friend digs in silence? <laughs> again, these teens are terrible. So maybe... <laughs> Yeah, the update did not work. Just don't do it. It just, every time it was in, it felt clumsy. And I felt like every time I would just like roll my eyes and be like, no, this isn't actually happening in modern times. I rarely, barely recall the days of calling people on landlines. If As I, had... I am older than you, I vividly recall these days. I had a cell phone in high school. So know? did I. But I had a cell phone back when they were bricks and I got it entirely because my parents assumed I, the second I got a car, I would strand myself by the side of the road. And it was like, you had a cell phone, you threw it in your bag and you didn't look at it all day because all your other friends were in class. Some of them didn't have cell phones and texting wasn't a thing. So it was like, yeah. oh yeah, I have a cell phone. It goes in my bag and that's where it stays all day. I forget I have it sometimes. Like cell phones, we had a totally different interaction with them. And you'd, even when you had a cell phone, you'd use your cell phone to call someone's house. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I did a little bit of calling houses, but it was still like, I was in that weird halfway period where no one had switched one way or the other. Mm -hmm. Like, it wasn't totally call houses, but it wasn't totally cell phones. It was kind of in between. It was a weird time. I grew up in a really weird era. <laughs> no one had really figured anything out yet. But yeah, I was like, like, the way that they said it, how they would clumsily throw the cell phones in there, I was like, then why are you always calling their houses? Not once have you mentioned that you tried to call a cell phone. And there's just a lot of points where they don't know where people are. And that's the big thing with cell phones is when you have committed a murder, you can find out where the other people in your murder group are. I know. I one time, so I have sisters who are like 10 years older than me. And one time in high school, when I was like texting my friends about where we we're going to be or whatever, I was asking them, I was like, what was life like before cell phones? And she like really thought about it. And she was like, there was a lot more just standing around waiting to see if someone would show up. <laughs> It's true. And it was also less stressful because it was one of those things where it was like, if they don't show up, there's nothing I can do about it. So there was, in a way, a lot less stress. You kind of gave yourself into the universe because it's like, if this person doesn't show up, I have no way to contact them. I guess I could find a payphone and call their house and see if they ever left. And get maybe if their mom's home, I can find out like what time they left at. I'm done talking about this book. That's fair. Okay, so I feel like we've covered it. So I guess the question is, do you have any other quotes that you hate and want to present since you have seem to have a lot of feelings? Yeah, none of my quotes are that fun. They're more just like, this is another reason why I agree with Mr. Griffin. I have a quote that I want to read. Yeah, it is please. my favorite quote in the book. It's basically after their day out where um, Susan goes on a date with Dave and they all go out and they have this lovely picnic and drink and have a nice time. And Susan gets back home and she goes up to her room and the quote is, never 
Susan thought deliriously. Never in all the time to come will I ever, ever be as happy as I am right now. And she was right. Yeah, that actually made me laugh. <laughs> I read that quote and I was like, I love this quote more than anything. This quote is so beautiful and self-aware and perfect to everything in this book. Sick burn, author. <laughs> and that's why I feel like the author wants us to just feel the sadness these teens have for their own bad life choices. There is one point where Mark is talking weirdly about killing the old lady, and he's talking to Betsy, and this is a quote, he says, So maybe it was me. I went over and got the ring like I told you I would. Why does that have to mean I killed the old bag? He glanced at Betsy. You don't think I did that, do you, Bets? No, Betsy said softly. No. Good, Mark nodded approvingly. Old people fall down, you know? It happens all the time. An old lady tries to jump up out of her chair and stumbles, and down she goes, smacking her head on the windowsill. I ask you, what could I do about it? I wasn't near enough to catch her. And at this point, I wrote down, Is this the Futurama episode in the What If Machine where Leela just keeps killing people and then be like, What do you mean, kill this person? Mark, Mark is, just, is a very unique, terrible creature. I also have a quote at the end. This is completely out of nowhere. So that's when Susan thinks she's going to die because Mark is setting the house on fire. I will be burned alive, Susan thought. But she could not believe it, because the boy standing in front of her was Mark. He was standing there, quiet, in the center of the room, and there was no longer anger in his face. He was quiet, beautiful face, with a wide, smooth forehead, and a sweet, strong mouth, and eyes with the glow of far places and lovely dreams. I love him, Susan thought, realizing it for the first time. And I hate him, and he is going to kill me. So, okay, but My there is context that. for that. Like, they do spend a lot of the book talking about how sort of alluring he is and how he draws the other kids into his web. My notes for that just say, what <laughs> the fuck? But I mean, they do a lot of the book about how he sort of charms the other kids in and he's part... I just, I mean... It just wasn't not... well done. It wasn't smooth. I don't know. If you want to read a good book about, like, a psychopath child, you should read the graphic novel My Friend Jeffrey. <laughs> Okay. That does a much better job of talking about how a child psychopath can draw you in. Oh, yeah, I've heard that's really good. Yeah, it actually is. I need to check that out. I have one more quote. It's from the end. So, in the end, Kathy Griffin, who is Mr. Griffin's wife, brings Susan a note that he... She... <laughs> I'm sorry, I just realized her name was Kathy Griffin. It took me a second to catch up. I was like, Kathy Griffin? Wait, isn't it? Am I wrong? <laughs> no, it is. But it's Kathy with a C. Okay. Sorry, go on. <laughs> anyway, so she brings Susan basically her final assignment that she had turned into Mr. Griffin before he got murdered. And it has his notes on it because she had spent a lot of time trying to convince her husband, hey, you should be nice to your kids, maybe tell them if they're good, if you have any kids that are good. So it basically goes through sort of what her final poem was. And then it, um, the quote is below this in Mr. Griffin's small, precise handwriting, there was a message. Miss McConnell, it pleases me to see the growing maturity of your work. It is indeed the little deaths these small daily rejections of our well-meant offerings that render the spirit lifeless. It is an adult thought, well expressed. I'm glad that you are a junior, for it will allow me one more year in which to work with you. I look forward to watching your continued development as a writer and hope that I may be able to contribute towards it. Brian Griffin. If she had been the Susan of two weeks before, she would have wept. But this new Susan had cried herself dry of tears. She replaced the paper in the drawer and went to comb her hair. I kind of love this, like, unfeeling... Susan at the end, this Susan that has basically sacrificed everything because she liked a boy and did a thing he asked on a date with her and it destroyed her entire life. Ugh. 
I mean, I guess the moral of the story is boys are the worst. I mean, that's definitely one take on it. <laughs> if a boy asks you to come with him to help murder someone, maybe don't go do that. I don't know. I guess it depends on who it is and how well thought out his plan is, because that plan was not well thought out. It was a out. very bad plan. Like, that was the problem, is their plan, and the plans they made to cover for their plans weren't great. Yeah, like, why did they think this would be so easy? Teenagers, yeah. always thinking murder is going to be easy. If you even, even the This is what plan... happens when you live in a time before CSI. <laughs> That's the problem. It's also, like, especially, like, you have a bunch of kids beating up a teacher, and you even if you think he's going to live, he's going to go to the cops. You think that he's not going to either recognize your voices or something you say is not going to be like, oh, yeah, obviously he's a student. He only has so many classes. How do you think you're going to get away with this? Yeah, they thought that they could disguise their voices by speaking in accents. <laughs> I think you're right. I think a time before CSI really didn't properly train these kids for how to commit high-level crimes. Which is why you should not try to update this because it makes no <laughs> sense in a world where, like, law and order and CSI exist. As if you haven't marathoned all of them one day when you were bored. Yeah, their plan definitely did not take any of these things into account. They're such bad plans. They're such bad plans. And even for high schoolers. Like, I remember being in high school doing senior pranks and stuff. And we were very clear for a senior prank that involved not beating up someone to cover all our bases and make sure, like, we had everything on lock and make sure that everyone was communicated with, make sure we had multiple lines of communications, make sure every detail was taken care of, making sure no one would catch us. We had alarm codes all set. Like, we had everything we needed. These kids were going to actively commit a serious crime and didn't cover their bases. And that's just bad planning. High school kids are smarter than that. Yeah, I have one last question, which is, like, maybe this is my, like, what kind of high school did this? And you're like, oh, mine, again. But... I'm writing my hand right now like, to raise it. <laughs> big thing was that the nerdy girl, Susan, scheduled an after-school meeting with him to talk about things. And the idea was she would keep him there long enough that everyone else would leave. And then they'd walk outside and there'd be no one else around to see them when they clubbed him over the head. When I was in high school, especially, like, they say that this is a time during, like, a sports season and stuff. There was people around until very late. There was always the kids who had to stay after because of detention. There was, like, sports practice. There was theater practice. There was clubs. It depends there on the were... at your school, I think. Because that was true for me. I mean, you know, school, sports, yeah. all the things. But if I imagine if you're at a school where there's a separate parking lot for the teachers. A separate abandoned parking lot that no one can see. <laughs> well, who would be left at that point? Any teachers that were in charge of clubs or the sports. But if like you're... an out, like... At most an hour after school ended. Like, at yeah. that point, I don't know. That's I the just... key, though, because any teachers that had already been done with the end of the day were gone. Any teachers that were there for clubs and sports would be there for probably a half hour to an hour longer. So you had kind of a dead zone in between teachers that didn't have after school priorities and teachers that did. But yeah, the fact that, like, they think they can club this teacher in a parking lot where it's like, it's not 9 p.m. at night. Right? It's like, like four o'clock. It's like there's people around and then like just drag his unconscious body. And literally no one sees it. No one. Yeah. And no one hears him yell or anything. Like, I don't know. That's pretty tough when it's just after school. Like, it's not like there's like an, right. a late night teacher parent teacher and meeting. And then she kept him after that or something. Yeah. Like, it was still daylight. Like, it had, I guess maybe it was winter. Was it winter? I don't know. I don't know what season this was set in. No, it couldn't have been because they would have there, said something about snow or digging in frozen ground. You know you what? Know I'm done. I'm done. I'm done analyzing what time of season this was. You do know there are places without snow in winter. No. I have bad news for you. <laughs> there are plenty of places where it's perfectly nice in winter. Okay, fine. 
I guess maybe it could have been winter in like California or something. Anyway. anyway. Okay. Let's write this book. I'm going to go first because I don't want your rating to pull down my rating because I have bad news for you. I actually kind of enjoyed reading this book. It's not bad news. I'm happy when you do things you like. I definitely waited until Emily was taking a sip of her mimosa <laughs> in order to say that so I could see if I could make her spit take. Well, I, I didn't love this book like I did when I was young. And I have a lot of questions about why I love this book when I was young. I'm now currently revisiting my entire youth. But I, I liked it. I did not like it. There were some quotes I really liked. There's a lot of mo. I, I kind of liked it as a suspense book. There were things I enjoyed, so, but I don't love it. So I'm going to give it a 6.5 out of 10. Jesus Christ, that's so much higher. I, I was literally sitting here being like, eh, a two or a three. And this is why I went first. It's because I knew you could drag me down to a 5.5 if you tried. <laughs> Yeah. I'm very I... susceptible to manipulation. So if a young man took me out to a picnic and told me he was going to beat up his teacher, I might be vulnerable to that. I'm going to give it a 2.5. Okay. Because I didn't, I mean, I did not like it. But I feel like I didn't, I mean, at points I hated it. Oh man, I'm talking myself down. I just, I did not care for it. But I feel like there are other books that have made me angrier with how much I hated them. And so I want to save myself that wiggle room, I guess. And like... I don't know. I guess parts of it were fine or whatever. I, were they? No, I'm sticking with it. I'm going to give it a generous two. <laughs> I'm going to cut off the 0.5. All right. So we have a 6.5 for me and a two from you. Well, and I also feel like I didn't address this before, but I feel like titling it Killing Mr. Griffin really spoiled a lot because you're like the whole time they were like, we're not going to kill him. I was like, that man going to die. <laughs> But that's part of it, is knowing you're watching these kids as they have these plans and expectations and seeing what happens when those plans go awry and seeing yeah, how, Watching them flounder. I get it. Watching, like, the downfall of their youth and watching their sort of innocence crumble away through their own actions. I get it, but I didn't care for it. This was also made Two. to a movie, fun fact, called Teaching Mrs. Tingle. Ugh. Was it Way a worse title. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think they just didn't want to have the word killing... In a title of a movie about a teacher, so they try to like. That definitely sounds like a porn title. Yes. That's some kind of teaching, if you get what I'm saying. If you wink at me like that again, I will <laughs> get this movie and make you watch it. All right, so this has been a great episode. All right, so we have our ratings. So obviously, I think that means you would not recommend this book to anyone. I would not. I don't. While I enjoyed myself, I'm not sure if I would recommend this book to anyone. I mean, if you're really into 70s suspense, maybe have a good time. But I feel like there's better suspense books out there. Damn it. Okay, I'm cutting my rating to a six. <laughs> Talk to you down. I just, there's better books out there. I feel like I'm going to have enough books in the sort of like 6.5 to 10 range that mm -hmm. it seems like this book should be a little lower. I did like a lot of the prose. I did like certain aspects of the narrative structure, but I do feel like there's better suspense books from this. There's even better Lois Duncan books out there. So I'm going to make you read some of them. Fun fact. <laughs> you yeah, look really no, sad. Would not recommend this one. We'll see what comes with the other ones. So, okay. So you wouldn't, there's not anyone you necessarily recommend this to. For me, it's your kind of savvy suspense. I don't know if there's kids I would necessarily recommend this to. Again, Maybe like kids I hate. I feel like there's been better suspense and better sort of kids dealing with problems in violent means books. Sorry, I went out. off on a tangent wondering if I could give this book to my nephews and it'd be a funny joke on, like from me or if it would be a bad idea. I think probably a bad idea. And also maybe I finished my mimosas. <laughs> These two things are related. 
All right. All right. So that's it for us today. Emily's currently falling over and dying. So doing great. Thank you, everyone, for joining us on this discussion of Killing Mr. Griffin. Uh, I hope you all join us in two weeks for us talking about the book Ella Enchanted. If you want to read up on that one, please do so and join us for another episode. Our music this week is Heartbreaker by Jazar at betterwithmusic.com. Thank you for joining us this week, and we'll see you all in two weeks. Bye!